Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Nice afternoon. Good. And let's get your Bibles and let's open them up to John's Gospel and chapter 17. And uh, we, you find us, if you've, if you've just arrived for the first time, in the middle of a series. And uh, the series is something we've called Last Words. And it's been, uh, I think it's been, it's been great for me. I don't know about anybody else. But it's been, it's been great for me because what we've been saying is that, um, that there are parts of Scripture that are very, very special. I mean, the whole of Scripture is incredibly special. It's, the, the Scriptures tell us that it's theonustus, it's God-breathed. In other words, God has spoken. This is the Word of God to us. But there are parts of Scripture where you feel like you're on holy ground. It's almost God's deep breath. And, and John 13 through 21 is kind of God's deep breath. It's when, it's when God imparts to his disciples, his succession plan, his, his boys, the stuff. And he says, you know, effectively, there's going to be some stuff that you're not going to remember. I know that. I know there's going to be some miracle bits you're going to get wrong, and there's going to be some encounters you get the wrong names and all that kind of stuff, and you're not going to agree about everything. But here's the stuff that I'm going to ask you to carry into the world. Don't forget this. Don't forget this. These are my last words. On the subject. And, and if you'd have been a disciple of Jesus at the time, and you'd have hung around with him, I mean, these were kind of mind-frying thoughts. The whole thing gets passed on to you. My love, my power, my grace, my plan, my goal, the whole deal gets on to you. And we've been looking at John 13, 14, 15, 16. And today, it, it, we get to John 17. And if there is a holy passage in the holy passages, it's John 17. I mean, John 17, you get to listen in to, father, for, to son talk to father about the kids. Do you know what I mean? You get to listen in to the personal, private, intimate conversation between the son of God, the savior of the world, and the father of creation as they're having a chat about the kids. This kind of sacred moment. And it's almost an abomination that I'm going to take 35 minutes to tell you the whole thing. Martin Lloyd-Jones took 42 weeks. <laughs> and I'm going to give you 35 minutes. So, so we're just going to do a 10,000-foot look at John chapter 17 as we look at Jesus' last words to his disciples. Have you ever, have you ever listened into a conversation about you that you shouldn't have listened into? I mean, really? Have you ever listened in? Have you ever, have you ever gone to a door key, you know, a, key, a keyhole, and you look through and you heard something? Have you ever done the glass against the wall thing? Have you ever sort of pressed yourself up? Have you ever walked slowly down a corridor when you knew someone was talking about you and you listened in? None of you. You're so holy. Look at you. Oh, gosh, no, never. I would just walk away. You know, just kind of, I've done it loads. I love it. 
<laughs> I used to do it when I was young. I don't do it anymore. <laughs> Redeemed, sanctified, the whole thing. Uh, you know, just, just listened into that conversation. Can you imagine? Jesus is talking to his father about the kids, and the kids get to listen in to the most intimate of conversations. It's one thing when you're hearing the adults talk about you. It's another thing when you're hearing the Savior of the world talking to the Father of creation about you. You better listen in. Let's read. Let's listen to what Jesus says to the Father. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to try and teach him the whole thing. John 17. After Jesus has said this, and you remember from last week what he'd said to his disciples is kind of freaky. He said, you're going to have big trouble in this little world. You're going to have big trouble. You're going to get peace in trouble, but you're going to have trouble in this world. But take heart, I've overcome the world. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you had given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And now look at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's you, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the authority that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let's keep that passage of Scripture open. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. We know and we feel and we experience your presence, but we would appropriate your presence. We invite you to come. We invite you to come so that we would leave this place different because we have experienced you. So Holy Spirit, would you come? This is your word. This is your time. Amen. So Jesus begins to talk to his father about something called glory. And he says to dad, give me glory. And the disciples listening in through the keyhole with their glass to the door, not that they did that, but you know what I mean. They're really keen to hear because they'd heard about glory. In fact, all their lives they'd heard about glory. Glory was something to be marveled at and glory was something to be feared because, because glory was, was, was the glory of the Holy of Holies in, in the center of the temple where no one could go and if you went in the wrong frame of mind or with the wrong attitude, you never came out of the place again because the glory of God was something so huge and so powerful and so heavy 
so devastating you didn't want to get on the wrong side of the glory of God. And so they heard about this thing and they were fearful about this thing. They'd heard about the incredible stories of what happens when the glory of God falls. And they hear Jesus saying, Jesus, Father, bring on the glory. Bring on the glory. And that word glory is the, is the Greek word doxa. And it's a massive mega theme of Scripture. 275 times in the English version of the Bible, you hear that word doxa or that word glory. It, it can be translated splendor, beauty, radiance, weightiness, purity, worthiness, superiority, majesty. And it's all those words and it's bundled together and wrapped up in one four-letter Greek word, doxa. This is huge. I want, Father, for you to reveal in me and through me doxa, glory. And the time is now. And as the disciples listened, they recognized something was different. Because up until that point, the time had not been now. The time had always been not now. Jesus always said, it's not right time now for me to reveal myself or for me to reveal my glory. It's later. The time is not now. But Jesus says, now, now is the time I'm ready to reveal the glory. And the glory, verse 4, is to complete the task the Father has given. The glory is the finishing of the mission. The glory is the finishing of the job. The glory is the finishing of all the things that Jesus came to do. The glory is the restoration of everything. The glory is everything that got busted in the garden gets restored in the person of Jesus. And that is doxa and that is glory. And Jesus says, I'm going to need all the glory to do this. I'm going to need not just the glory I've got right now. I'm going to need all the glory that I had before. You know, before I incarnated myself, before I put on skin and moved into the neighborhood, before I veiled some of the glory so that I could actually be living amongst human beings, I'm going to need some of that glory because this is such an incredible task. It's the restoration of all things. So Jesus says, bring on the glory. And the disciples are listening in. and You can bet their chest filled out. <laughs> And maybe water began to fill in their eyes. Because they thought, this is the time. And this is the glory. And maybe we're part of the glory. And he's, he's our mate. And that's the father. And this is doxa. I mean, they, they knew stuff. They'd been with Jesus at the very beginning. They'd been with him through Cana in Galilee. They'd seen the remarkable water into wine thing, and they, they knew something of who he was. They'd heard him at Nazareth when he gave that great declaration, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight for the blind, etc., etc., etc. And that because they had been schooled in Jewish history, they'd done the maths, and they'd added it up and said, that's the Isaiah quote. That's what he was saying. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's going to come. He is God's anointed one. Is, could this be glory and they'd seen blind people see and they'd seen deaf people hear. In fact, they knew deaf people had heard and they'd been there and they'd done the stuff with Jesus and it was freaky stuff and they knew that perhaps, perhaps, perhaps he, was the, he, was, he, was, he didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets but he came to fulfill them and they knew that he was the answer and the center of all the stories of their world, the Exodus story and the exile story and the creation story and the sacrificial story. They're going, could this be glory? Could this be doxa? Could this be us? Could we be glory? And they had an inkling that it might be. And that they might be 
and they weren't quite sure. But as they listened in, Jesus' father, these guys, these guys, verse 6, 7, and 8, they, they've received you because they've received me. And they've believed in me. And they've taken the weight of their lives and they've placed it upon me. And they've taken the authority of their lives and they've made it the word of the Father. And they have eternal life, which is just knowing you, Dad. They've got it. They're the glory. They're the glory. And you bet the guys, they pinched themselves. And they poked one another. And they said, we're the glory. We're the doxa. They don't belong, Jesus says to the Father. They don't belong to this world. They're just passing through. They belong to us. They're part of the family, just as I'm part of the family. They're just part of us. They're passing through this world. They're citizens of heaven. They are the first fruits of glory. Carl. He's glory. You know, Dad, you know he's got his issues. He's got some insecurities that mean he likes people to like him and he wants people to think he's preaching well. You know, he's, he's got some narcissism. He wants to be at the center of stuff and he's, he's, he's got some fears and concerns. He's worried about these things and that things and he's anxious about this. But, 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 but he's glory. He's, he's us. He's one of us. He's my brother, and you're his dad. He's the glory. You've got to believe they loved that stuff. Doxa. And, and, and if you're, let me pause for just a moment. If, if, if you're sitting here and listening in and wondering about life and this eternal life thing, and, and you've never encountered God, and you would know if you'd encountered God, and you've never experienced the truth and the love of God, and you would know if that were true. And there's never been a moment in your life when you've said, I'm going to take the weight of my life and the weight of my future and the weight of my ambitions, and I'm going to stand it on the person of Jesus because he's the only one capable. And if you've never said, yes, Jesus, yes, God, I'm going for you, then, then you need to know this. As you listen in through the door, there is a handle on your side, and you just get to open it up. And you don't have to wait until the ministry time at the end to do that, you know? You don't have to wait till the appointed moment when the minister says, now you can come forward and receive Jesus. Just right there, here, right now, you can say, I want Jesus to be the authority of my life. I want this eternal life, which is knowing God. I want to experience the glory because everything I experience right now is just an illusion of glory. It's just there designed to keep me from the glory, from the relationship with the Father that I'm supposed to have. And you can do that right now. You don't have to wait. Just as to say, please, yes. Please, yes. So Jesus says, Dad, these are the glory. And he prays, because we are the glory and we're to carry glory. Jesus says, verse 22, and this is crazy. He says, I have given them glory. In fact, I've given them the same glory you gave me, and that is ridiculous stuff. 
I'm giving you a share in glory. I'm passing glory on so that you might carry glory and you might pass glory on to others. And something incredible is happening. Stop just for a moment because, because you need to understand this. In the Old Testament, God said very, very carefully again and again and again, I will share my glory with no one else. Because his glory is so powerful and he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And no one's sharing his glory. And now Jesus says, I'm turning all that on its head. And now because they're mine, because they're included, and because they know you, Father, and because they're my brothers, and because they're they're sons and daughters of the living God, they not only got to share my glory, they got to pass on my glory, they become carriers of glory. That's what I'm doing right now. And the guys were completely undone at that moment. These guys are family. And my glory is going to get displayed by them. And it's going to be shaped by them. And that's, that's so scary. And it's so huge and it's so massive that Jesus says, I need to pray for them some stuff. I want the glory kids to begin to carry and develop. And so he prays some stuff for them. He prays this. He prays, look at verse 11 and, and to 15. He prays for protection and security. He prays for protection and security because he knows that the moment that you place your weight upon Jesus, the moment you become a glory carrier, that moment you, 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 you become the most secure person in all the world and the most vulnerable person in all the world. It's the most secure place in all the world and it's the most vulnerable place in all the world. It's the most secure place because you're the son of the king of kings and the lord of lords and he has all power and you're his kid and he loves you. It's the most vulnerable place. Because the king of kings has an enemy, and the enemy's job, and the enemy's orientation is to take the glory from you, to trip you up, to tempt you beyond what you can bear. And so Jesus says, Father, I pray protection over these kids, and I pray for security. Give them your name, Dad. Your name is going to give them identity. He's the dad, you're the son. He's the dad, you're the daughter. That's just huge because, because so many issues I see when I, I meet people pastorally or I see relational issues or there are pastoral problems, I all come down to this, a lack of security and a radical insecurity. People just don't know who they are. And so you fell out with her because you just don't know who you are. And you're jealous and you're competitive and you're, you, 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 you feel insecure and you feel unable and you're not able to do it and you're, you're worried about them and you're always comparing yourself and it's, it's because you don't know who you are. You don't know that you're the son of the king and you carry glory. And you're always making, looking to make a name for yourself but you've got a name. You're the son of the king. You're the daughter of the king, and you're always looking to cover yourself in glory, but you don't need to cover yourself in glory because he's given you glory. And Jesus says, I pray protection over these guys, and I pray security for these guys, and I pray joy for these guys. Look at verse 13 because um, it's an incredible verse. He prays for the full measure of the joy of Jesus. Have you ever thought, what, what does that look like? What does the, the full measure of the joy of the Prince of Joy look like? I mean, we're, we're British, so we've got no idea. But what is, what is the full, really? What does the full measure of the joy of the Prince of Joy look like? When you are so 
rammed full of the full measure of the joy of Jesus. What does that look like? The only, the only picture I can come up with was uh, about five years ago, I was in India, and uh, we were in a, a church just nearby to a, a slum, and there were maybe about the same amount of people in, in the room as are in this room, although the room was about one-tenth of the size, and it was very, very hot. And um, the band that were playing, to be honest, I mean, it was an abomination. Really, it was awful. I mean, seriously, it was an abomination at, um, at a level that was just devastating on every level. It was, it was you know, it was kind of, um, the, the, they had the keyboard player, and he, what he basically did was he found a chord, and for 30 minutes he stayed on that chord. He just stayed on that chord. He, he thought it was a good chord, probably was, for about 10 seconds. But he stayed on that chord, and the, and the drummer... He found a beat, and he stayed on that beat for about 30 minutes. Whatever song, he just did He stayed on that beat for 30 minutes, and they sang, no word of a lie, seven, eight songs, just, just all on the same key, or whatever key they were, no one cared. Just the same, the same thing at the same volume, and the singer was so loud and couldn't sing, and they were just going for it. And you know, it was kind of 1980s chorus, Hosanna, Hosanna, we shall go out with joy. And it went on for about 30 minutes, and you've never seen anything like it. The guys in the room were full, were full. I was full, I, I, I don't know what I was full of, but... The guys in the room were full of joy. You know, they were beaming. There was sweat coming off their faces. There were tears coming out of their eyes. They were full of joy for Jesus. And there was something about the pogoing that was very difficult for me. You know, kind of <laughs> trying really hard. And, and they were just going for it. But when you know this, that they were mainly street cleaners and sewage workers, and they'd been up all night. And they were earned, if any of them earned anything, they earned about 100 rupees a day to feed their whole family, which wasn't enough to feed their whole family. It was about, I don't know, about 50p or something like that. And they had no hope, you know, materially, but they had absolute hope and security because they had Jesus, because they knew the Father, and because they had doxa, because they had glory. And that is glory. And I know it's difficult for us to get because we're very British. Or we are at least for a few more weeks, apparently. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but but we, we are very, very British, you know? It's this kind of reserve that comes over us. And I understand that, and I get that, and no one's asking anybody to pogo who doesn't want to pogo. No one's asking anyone to smile if you'd rather look like a wasp chewing a bulldog or something like that, I don't know, or the other way around, a bulldog chewing a wasp, or whatever it is when you're worshiping. But, but here's the thing. To be honest, because of what Jesus has done in our hearts and lives, because of who God is, and because of who we are, sons and daughters of the living God, they ought to have to hose us down because we're so full of joy in our hearts and lives. And that's what Jesus prays. He says, I want to pray security and I want to pray protection and I want to pray joy and I want to pray, look at verse 17, I want to pray sanctification, which is a very long word. It just means holiness. I want to pray for those who are, are, are to be sanctified, those who are to be separated, those who are to be different. That's what the word means. It means just to be holy. It means to be separate. 
It means to be consecrated. It means to be set aside for a particular purpose. The word is hagiozo, and it just means to be holy, to be different, to be sanctified, which means this. He loves you just exactly as you are. He couldn't love you anymore. He thinks you're brilliant. He loves everything about you, but he loves you too much to keep you that way. He has too much invested in your life to allow you to be less than who he made you to be. So he's starting a cleanup job in you. It's called sanctification. And it just means this. He is trying to separate you so you look like Jesus. That's what he's doing. Father, would you do your work of sanctification? Would you do that work where you cut away anything that is incompatible with the person of Jesus in my life so I begin to look like Jesus and speak like Jesus and act like Jesus? Would you cut away all the jealousy, all the identity that is not him, all the selfishness, all the thing that makes me want my own stuff, all the broken and dislocated pieces? Would you heal it up so that I am free to run as the person that you made me to be looking like Jesus? And that's so important. Because the best bits of me are Jesus. Honestly, I'm not so good. I look good. <laughs> I said, thank you so much. Well, I'm not so good. You know, if you really knew me, if you knew the inside, you knew the stuff that comes out, you knew the stuff that's broken, you knew, you knew the insecurities, you knew all the stuff, you wouldn't want me, but you would want Jesus in me and you'd want Jesus through me. That's what this world needs. It doesn't need me. So Jesus is beginning a cleanup operation. He says, Father, I pray that they would have joy. And I pray that they would have security. And I pray that they would have protection. And I pray, I pray, I pray that they would be sanctified. Because they're going to carry glory. They're going to carry glory. They're going to carry glory to this world. And Jesus knows it's a big risk. So he continues to pray. And he says one thing, and, and the one thing that he says is kind of huge. He says, Father, I pray that they will be one as we are one. And I pray as they are one, they will be sent out into the world as I have been sent. He prays for oneness. Check it out, verse 18 and verse 21, that the world might believe what he's wanting is that you and I become the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus. Your street is supposed to be different because Jesus is in you. Do you know that? It is. Your workplace is supposed to be different because Jesus is in you. People are supposed to be healed because Jesus is in you. Life is supposed to be transformed. People are supposed to be challenged with the truth. Not because you get in their face with the truth, but because the truth is pouring out of you because Jesus is in you. That's what's supposed to happen because your glory carries. Government and politics are supposed to be different because Jesus' people are in government and politics. Media is supposed to be different because Jesus' people are in the media. And it's not because they get all offensive and all difficult. It's just because Jesus can't help outing of us when he's in us and we're carrying glory. That's what's supposed to happen. Jesus is supposed to be offensive to the things that are incompatible with Jesus. That's what's supposed to happen. Sickness is supposed to be gone when Jesus is around. That's what's supposed to happen. Do you know, I, I, I don't know how far you want to go with this, but um, recently God's been really talking to me about healing. And, and I was uh, down in well, at Bristol this week, 
And uh, I was talking in Bristol, and I was talking about the fact that God's been talking to me about healing, and uh, we really need to step it up, and we really need to go for it. And we've had one or two people getting healed, and lives getting changed. And, and this lady comes up to me after and says, the same thing's happening with us. This lady, she, she um, nine months ago, couldn't walk. She was in a wheelchair. And she couldn't put her arms above this kind of level. And she was maybe my age, younger, younger than me, Nick. Younger than me. Most people are younger than me these days. <laughs> she was younger than me. And uh, she had young kids, so she was definitely younger than me. She had young kids, and, and, and she, she, she hadn't been able to do these things for 15 to 20 years. She hadn't been able to do anything. And she had a disease, and the doctor said it's just going to get worse. It's degenerative. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And her, her mum rang her up and said that she'd just been to a healing meeting, and this strange, weirdy, weirdy, weirdy healing evangelist had given her a handkerchief and had said, this is for your daughter. And so mum said, I'm bringing the handkerchief around and I'd like you to put it in your pocket. And this, this daughter said, there is no way I'm doing that. That's just weird. I've been to healing stuff before. I get disappointed every time I'm not healed. I won't go forward for healing anymore because every time I don't get healed, I just, my faith just takes a knock and I just think there's no hope at all. And mum said, just humor me, put the handkerchief in your pocket. Within days of her having the handkerchief in her pocket, she got out of her wheelchair. She does this now. She worships Jesus. She walks to work. She doesn't use her, her uh, wheelchair anymore, and the doctors don't understand what's going on. Now, I'm not suggesting we're going to get the handkerchiefs out. Don't have one. But, but I am suggesting this. God is up to something. When Jesus is in the house, the authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the presence of Jesus is in the house. When Jesus is in the heart, the glory of Jesus is in the heart. When Jesus is in the workplace, the activity of Jesus is in the workplace. Something should happen when Jesus is about. You are carriers of glory. And for all this to happen, Jesus says unity is fundamental. May they be one, verse 21. May they be one. And he's not joking about this, and we can't skip over it. May they, may they be one. You know, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ is called the bride of Christ. And it's a beautiful, beautiful description of the body of Christ. But so often, the bride of Christ is at war with her own body. You know that? So often, we hate our own body. So often, we're fighting with our own body. So often, we're slagging off our own body. So often, we're, we're criticizing our own body. So often, we're arguing amongst each other theologically. We're arguing. We're arguing about the gospel. Is, is it this? Is it that? Is it this plus this? Is it this plus that? Or is it only this and not the other thing? And to be honest, those conversations are important, but when they become petty arguments, Jesus is grieved and nobody out there cares. We, we argue about the, our experience in church. Should it be loud? Should it be soft? Should we have women at the front? Should we not have women? To be honest, I think Jesus is grieved and I think nobody out there actually cares. And the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, just gets damaged in, in the process. We're jealous of one another. They're big. They must be doing something wrong. That's so British, isn't it? God's growing something there. There must be something dodgy about it. They mustn't be sound enough. Or, whatever. or, or we describe ourselves by what we're not. Have you noticed that? Well, we're not like them. We're not as charismatic as they are. We're not as boring as them. We don't do this. Do you know, honestly, here's the thing. I have this feeling that we're going to spend eternity right next to the people we've been slagging off. Do you know? Because I have this, Jesus, I think, has got a great sense of humor. And I think what he's going to do is he's going to go, you know, why don't we put them with them? Because they don't even think they're going to be here. This is going to be good. 
It's going to be fun. And they're going to spend all eternity working out that they were all wrong about this stuff. And we're not going to put any fences in their gardens, so they're going to have to barbecue together. So it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Let's just mix it up. And because it's heaven, everyone's going to be having a party and they'll be laughing about how silly they were. But, but we don't want to waste time in heaven regretting, oh, wow, what? And we duplicate stuff and we speak badly of one another. When, when, when God says, you know, I want you to be the cheer section of everything that God is doing in the city. I want you to be the cheer section. I don't want you to be the same. That's ridiculous. You don't need to be the same. We're not talking uniformity. The Presbyterian church doesn't have to become the Elim church. That would be nuts. You know, the Baptist church doesn't need to become central. That would be nuts. <laughs> Whatever. You know, we don't, we don't need to become this or that or the other because we're all different. Because there are thousands and thousands, millions of people in Edinburgh. No, there aren't. Millions of people in Scotland <laughs> who need to know Jesus. And they're different flavors and they've got different backgrounds and they've got different likes and dislikes. And it's going to take every single one of us to see people transformed and lives transformed and a nation changed but here's the thing if if you hate this church and you might do leave really go somewhere else because to be honest there are hundreds of expressions of church out there that would love to have you and if you're here because you're out of duty and you feel you've got to be here but you don't like me very much and you think I'm too loud and you think the music is well go find somewhere else where you can love it and you can serve and you can get stuck in and you can enjoy it and, and that's absolutely fine because people come and people go if you're going to come come well if you're going to go go well it's great the church should be unified we should love one another and here's the thing Jesus says the only way this is going to happen With this, I will finish. The only way this is going to happen is something called oneness. And if you've you've not heard anything else, because I've ranted, hear this. He says mission and unity are amazing things. They're amazing things. But they're just a consequence of oneness. And sanctification and joy and security are vital, vital things. But they're just a consequence of oneness. You see, glory, it all flows from one place. Father, may they be one as we are one. And what Jesus is saying is that glory is the life and fruit of the Godhead. It's the result of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit loving each other. It's the result of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit in an eternal dance with one another, complementing one another. Father, this is the relationship they need, the, the relationship we have together. That's what they need to plug into. That's what they need to be intimate around. The glory that they're to display is this glory. The love that they display is this love. And the power that they display is this power. The secret of joy and satisfaction and sanctification and mission and glory is is oneness. It's all about this. It all starts here. It all starts here. That's what I pray. I pray for intimacy. You see, otherwise, what happens is we try and do unity outside of oneness, and very quickly it becomes ecumenical networking that institutionalizes and it kills the life of Christ. And we get stuck in meetings and we argue about the things that we're, we're not and the things that we don't like about one another. And, 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 but it, but if, it, if, it, if it flows out of oneness, it becomes a beautiful thing of the Holy Spirit. And mission, if it flows out of oneness, it becomes us just cooperating with what the Holy Spirit is doing in this world. And it's easy. 
Because God's doing stuff. Do you know that? God's meeting people. God's, God's drawing people. God's transforming people right now. And if, we're, if mission flows out of our relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's an easy, easy deal. But if it's just driven, it becomes a program, or it becomes an event, or it becomes a preaching, or it becomes a two ways to live, or four spiritual laws, or the, or the whole pamphlet thing. It's hard. We feel like we're beating people up into the kingdom of God, and God never asks us to do that. Sanctification. If it doesn't flow out of oneness, it becomes a thing of the law. You know, I've got to get good, and I've got to get better, and I've got to be less sinful, and it becomes a gospel of not sinning very much, and I live my whole life here, fearing the devil, here a devil, there a devil, everywhere a devil, devil, and I've got to run away from the devil because he's out to get me the whole time, and it's a whole bunch of hard work, and I just get badder, not better, because I get guilty, and I get driven, and joy. Joy doesn't flow from oneness. Joy is something you have to work up. Have you ever tried to work up joy? It sucks. Yeah, I mean, you must have been at a party where everyone else seems to be joyful and you're not. And you know you should be, and so you try and work up joy. <laughs> yeah. Good to be here. You know? Having a good time. And you hate it, and you feel more joyless than joyful and you begin to begrudge everyone who's feeling joyful and you're not feeling joyful and you're making a game out of it and then you leave early and you hated being there. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Don't work it up. It's like trying to work peace up. Mm. Oh, a love. You're not working love. Whatever you're doing, I don't know what I'm doing now. It's like... It's like trying to wear these things up. It doesn't happen when it flows out of oneness. When it flows from the source, it looks like the source. And it feels like the source. I don't know about you. I don't want to live for anything other than glory. I don't want to live for anything other than the glory of God. I, I, I don't want to live pursuing holiness because that sucks and it's so hard and it will just kill me and kill everyone around me. I don't want to I don't live pursuing joy because it's so hard to work it up. I don't I don't want to live pursuing mission and ambition and, and vision because that's just hard. It'll kill me and it'll kill people around me. I want to live pursuing him and intimacy and a relationship with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And see what he will do in me and through me. I want to live for glory. I want to live for doxa. And Jesus says, give me the glory. And give them the glory. As he prays for us. Let's pray. just uh, wait on God for a bit. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. And would you sift that sermon for us? And here's, here's what will happen if you really ask him that. There'll be one thing, maybe two. 
There'll be one, one thing that God has really been pressing on your heart. I don't know what it is. Maybe identity, maybe joy, maybe security, maybe intimacy. And you'll know that's what Jesus is praying for you right now. And here's the interesting thing about Jesus. He never, ever forces himself on you. So you have to be a willing participant in that prayer. All you need to do for that is say yes. Yes. So why don't you just say yes to the Holy Spirit of Jesus as he probes. Yes. Yes. take a bit of a risk. I think um, what um, God might be doing tonight is cutting free some of the um, bonds of Britishness. There's some great things about being British, English or Scottish. Some wonderful things that we should be proud about, but there are some things that bind us and prevent us walking in freedom. And there's a poverty thing that says, don't get above yourself and don't get ahead of yourself. And as I spoke about glory, automatically your Britishness kicked in and you went, I shouldn't have too much glory. That's only for God. And as I spoke about joy, something in your heart wanted to respond with joy, but something, something in your culture wanted to dampen that joy down. And so I break off of you and me the restraints that say you shall not be joyful and you should not have fun and you should not laugh and you should not be exuberant and you should not express emotion and you should not grieve and you should not laugh and you should not show how you feel and you should not be free to be full of the Spirit of God. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you ruin us? Would you ruin us for the mundane and the ordinary and the stifled and the suffocated and the less? Because we don't want it anymore. And would you come, would you fill us with your spirit of joy, with your spirit of laughter, with your spirit of fun and with your spirit of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.